For the past couple months, we've been going through the book of Hebrews. And Hebrews is a very interesting book. It's the author, of course, the human author is unknown. But, of course, we know that it's given by inspiration of God. So the Holy Spirit is the one who wrote this book. He may not have penned it physically. We don't know who penned it physically because we don't need to know. We need to know that God gave us this book. And it's an incredible book and has a lot of powerful truth in it. And the theme that we see throughout the book is the theme that Jesus is better. Jesus is better than what? Jesus is better than everything. Jesus is better than the rest we try to seek for ourselves. He's better than the, the unbelief that we have. He's a better high priest. Jesus is better than anything we could possibly put our hope or our faith or our trust or our joy in on earth. Tonight, we come to one of the most well-known chapters in the book of Hebrews, chapter number 11. Of course, chapter 11 is known as the Hall of Faith. And so we'll start reading verse number 1, and we'll read down through verse number 6 this evening. The Bible says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. So right off the bat we get a pretty good definition and an explanation of faith. He goes, it's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Then they give an example. He goes, by faith we believe that God created everything. And especially in today's day and age, that is a very difficult view to take. You talk to people about how all this stuff came to be, and it's all, well, billions and billions of years ago, there was a bunch of gas, and it blew up, and through billions of years, well, these planets formed, and then billions of years later, you know, the Earth formed, and then it cooled down, and they just have these, these really in-depth explanations about how everything got here, how the Earth just happened to be put in the perfect place, with a perfect environment, and I've, I've actually listened to some debates and uh, some people talking, talking about cre debating creationists, and like, well, how do we get all these, these elements here that other worlds need to have to survive, to have sustained life, but they don't have, and they're like, oh, well, just through the millennia, asteroids that was carrying those compounds would strike the earth, and that would give the earth the compounds it needed. I'm like, well, ain't that lucky. Aren't we glad we got hit by all those asteroids, not the one that gave us, you know, poison gas? But so, you know, by faith, we believe that how, you know, years and thousands of years ago, there was nothing, and God said, let there be everything. And that's how it came. Well, how can you explain that? You can't. That's faith. And that's, that's what faith is. It is believing something that just putting your trust in it and your hope in it without really being able to prove it. But keep going in verse number four. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, that he being dead yet speaketh. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found, because God had translated him. But before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. There's a lot of powerful truth in these six verses, but we're really going to focus this evening on verse number six. Everyone who's ever been created, every single one of us, everyone who's ever lived, everyone who ever will live, have inside of them a desire to please God. Now, they may not understand what that desire is. 
They may not understand that that desire, that thing that they're trying to seek and trying to achieve is a desire to please God. But we were created with a desire to please God, to seek God. Colossians chapter 1 tells us that we were created by God and we were created for God. Genesis tells us that we were created to worship and obey God. And before the fall of mankind, that's exactly how it was. Adam and Eve, of course, lived in perfect harmony in the Garden of Eden. They had, they, they had fellowship with God. They pleased God with their life. They, they got to speak to God face to face. But then sin entered the world and everything got broken. Everything got destroyed. And man was cast away from God. Man was separated from God. But man still had inside of them a desire to be with God a desire to please God. And since the fall, the purpose was broken, but the desire is there. And man has an emptiness inside of him that can only be filled with God. We, we try to find other areas to, to fill that void. Some people try to find other ways to please God, but we all fall short. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned, and come short of the glory of God. In our own strength, in our own efforts, in our own abilities, we can never please God. We can never get that relationship with God. And so what we do is we end up trying to please ourselves. We can't please God, so we'll just we'll please ourselves. We'll fulfill our desires, our lusts, our pleasures. We'll, we'll do what makes us feel good in an attempt to fill that void. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. He says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. That's the problem that all humanity faces today. The impossibility of pleasing God. Anybody ever know someone who, they're just, they're impossible to please? Anybody married to that person? All right, we got a couple of people that say they're married to April. Uh, she's sick tonight, and so pray for her. She's not feeling well. She's getting a migraine, and we're not live streaming, so I'm going to edit this out. April is hard to please. She's not impossible anymore. But when we first got married, she was impossible to please. I remember our first Christmas together uh, as husband and wife. We, we, it was my first Christmas as outside of my parents' home, and so I was excited about it. And I'm like, hey, what do you want me to get you for Christmas? And she gave me a list. This is what I want. And so I thought, well, simple, I'll just, I'll just follow the list. And one thing she had on her list was she says, I wanted a dress that I can wear to church. Now, I didn't grow up in church. I don't know what that is. So I go to JCPenney and I get her a prom dress. <laughs> she was not happy with that dress to wear to church. And everything on that list I got her, she wasn't specific. She's like, I want shoes. And so everything I got her just wasn't what she wanted. Just wasn't happy with it. So she literally took everything back and got what she wanted. The next year, same thing happened. And so for about three years, this went on where I was trying to get her what she wanted, trying to please her, and she wasn't happy. So finally, the fourth year of our marriage, she woke up for Christmas, and I had one gift under the tree, and it was cash. <laughs> and I said, you go get what She didn't like that either. <laughs> and so we began a new tradition that we've kept going for the last 15 years now where a couple weeks before Christmas, I'll take her out, we'll have dinner, I'll take her shopping, she'll pick what she wants, I'll pay for it, I'll wrap it, put it under the tree, she's happy. So now I can please her. But sometimes there's people in our life that we just, 
we can't seem to make happy. And that's how a lot of people see God. An unreachable, unpleasable God. But that's only because we don't know him. We don't know his character. We don't know his desire to want to be with us. Right now, somewhere in the world, there is a Muslim bowing down during the Islamic call to prayer. Right now, somewhere in the world, there is a Hindu who is burning incense to one of his many gods trying to please him. Right now, there's a businessman somewhere trying to close a deal that's going to make him successful and make him accomplished, make him feel some kind of value in his life. Right now, there's a college student who's working really, really hard, studying really hard all the time so she can graduate at the top of her, of her class and get a job, a job that will finally give her security, a job that will finally give her some meaning that she's been searching for in entire life. Right now, there's someone in the church, maybe here, they're singing the songs, they're listening to the sermon, they're giving their money, they're in the offering, and all in an attempt to cover up the mistakes they made last week. The thing is, religion doesn't please God. Piety doesn't please God. Hard work doesn't please God. There's only one thing that pleases God, and that's faith. Faith is the only thing that pleases God. So this night, let's, let's look at what God says about faith. First of all, let's see, what is faith? What is faith? If, we, if it's the only thing that pleases God, then we have to know what it is. So what is faith? God gives us a definition of faith in verse number one. It's the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And that sounds, that sounds great. That sounds really religious. That sounds really proper. But what does that mean? What does it mean to the, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen? Faith is something everybody has. The saved person has faith. The unsaved person has faith. The believer has faith. The non-believer has faith. The Christian has faith. The Muslim has faith. The Hindu has faith. The Catholic has faith. Everyone who's ever been born has faith. The problem is we usually put our faith in the wrong things. In 1993, there was a movie came out that was called Rudy. Anyone remember Rudy? First movie that made me cry. I wept as Rudy got off sides and tackled the quarterback. But Rudy was a movie about a, a boy named Rudy Rudiger. He grew up outside Chicago, and he, he loved Notre Dame football. He dreamed of playing Notre Dame football. He played Little League football. He played backyard football. He trained. He worked hard. He wanted to be a Notre Dame football player. That's all he wanted to do with his life. I know he could have wanted to go to UVA, but pff, people are dumb sometimes. So he wanted to be a, a Notre Dame football player. And so he worked really hard. He played uh, football in high school. And he was really, really good. He was the leading tackler on his football team three years in a row. And statistically, he was a decent football player. Some college somewhere would have recruited him, but he was short. He was five foot six, 160 pounds, way too small for college football. So no one recruited him. Well, so he figured he'd just go to Notre Dame, but his grades weren't good enough. So instead, he took a, got, a, uh, got accepted to a junior college in South Bend, moved to South Bend, and went to this junior college for two years to get his grades up. Once his grades were up enough to be accepted to Notre Dame, he applied to Notre Dame, and he was accepted. And so now he's a Notre Dame student, but he's still, he's still short. He's still small. He's still not playing for the football team. But Notre Dame would hold 
walk-on tryouts. Most all colleges do this. And so anyone who wasn't recruited could come and try out for the football team. And usually if you make the, the walk-on team, you're, you're typically going to the practice squad and the, the real team gets to beat you up every week. But hey, whatever. And so he goes, he tries out. He is one of two players who makes the Notre Dame football team as a walk-on. He is put on the scout team. And for two years, he works hard, he plays hard, he practices hard, and he shows a lot of heart and determination, so much so he gets the attention of the head coach. Well, the head coach is saying, man, Rudy's a great guy, he's talked to him, he's kind of won the heart of the whole team, but he's still, he's just so small. So finally, the last game of the season, his senior year, his last opportunity, the coach agreed to let him dress out for the Notre Dame football team. So he dresses for the, with the team, and he runs out onto the, onto the field, and he's watching on the sidelines. And the coach said, you're not going to play, but you can dress. So he dresses him, and he goes out. Well, late into the game, two, just two plays left in the game, they send Rudy out to play on defense. So now he's playing defensive end. First play of the game, he doesn't really do anything. But then the last play of the game, he's on, foot, on Notre Dame football field. He's playing for Notre Dame. He's dressed for Notre Dame. He, they snapped the ball. He gets through the line, and he sacks the quarterback. Now, he was offsides, but they didn't call it. But you watch the tape. Rudy was offsides. Shouldn't have counted. But anyway, so he sacks the quarterback. His entire team goes crazy. The, kid, the, the team comes off the sidelines. The team, they play on the field. They lift him up, and they're carrying him off the field. You know, Rudy, it's an incredible story. And really, I watch that show. I don't even like Notre Dame, but I cry when I watch that movie. It's like, you go, Rudy. You did it. He had a dream, he had a wish, he had a goal, and he achieved it. He had no reason to believe he could be a Notre Dame football player. He was short, he was small, he wasn't talented enough, but he did it. He had faith in himself, and that is the essence of faith. You look for something that will you believe will make you happy, and you do everything you can to get it. And everyone has this type of faith, whether it's faith in being successful, whether it's faith in finding the right spouse, whether it's faith in having a family. We all have faith. But that's not the type of faith that pleases God. The only faith that pleases God is Christian faith. It's faith in Him. So that brings us to the second question. What faith pleases God. We all have faith in something, but what faith do we have to have, do we have to exercise to please God? A.W. Tozer said this, he goes, faith is not in itself a meritorious act. The merit is in the one toward whom it is directed. Hebrews verse, uh, chapter 11 verse 6 tells us what God-pleasing faith looks like. Let's read it again. <coughs> But without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God, who that has faith in God, must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So the first thing the writer says, if you're going to have faith that pleases God, God-pleasing faith, first of all, you have to believe that he is. The foundation of God-pleasing faith is believing God exists. That's where a lot of people struggle. 
They can't wrap their minds around the fact that there is a, an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present God that cr- just spoke everything into existence and he controls everything and, and keeps everything going and is in charge of everything. And so the essence, the foundation of God-pleasing faith is believing that God exists. And I know that sounds simple, but it, it goes much deeper than that. It's more than just believing that God is real. It's believing God is sovereign. It's believing that God is in complete control of everything and every situation and every person all the time. God is sovereign. First Colossians 1 says this, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him are all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth. Visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he's the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminent. See, God pleasing faith begins by believing that God exists and that God is in complete control of everything. Nothing happens outside the control of God. He is supreme. He is the creator of all things. And that sounds good. And I believe most of us here would say, I believe that preacher. But do you believe that when you get a call from the doctor saying cancer's coming to your family? Do you believe that when an accident happens and someone gets a call and your life is destroyed? Do you believe that when, when everything that you've worked for and strove for and tried for is just washed away? Do you believe that when the, your husband or your wife walks out on you? Do you believe that God is in control then? God-pleasing faith says, God, I don't just want to say it. I want to believe that, Lord, when everything's going well, then my life is great and I'm happy and everything's going wonderful that you're in charge and you're supreme. But, Lord, when my life is torn apart and my life is just ripped to shreds, maybe for something I did or something someone else did, but Lord, when my life is turned upside down, you're still in control. And there's a purpose for it. See, that's where the, the faith we struggle with comes in. God, there's a purpose for my husband leaving me. God, there's a purpose for this, this tragedy, losing a child or losing a love. There's a purpose for this because Romans 8 says all things work together for good. And God-pleasing faith says, God, this is not good. I don't like it. I don't want it. But I know it's for me. I know you're in control. And I know eventually, one day, maybe, I'll see the good that comes out of it. God-pleasing faith trusts God all the time. The good times, the bad times, the joyful times, the sorrowful times. God-pleasing faith says, God, you love me and you're in control no matter what happens in my life. But not only does God-pleasing faith believe in the supremacy of God, it also believes in the rewards of God. The writer continues, he goes, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. This says, I believe God exists. I believe God's in control. I believe God is supreme. I believe God controls everything. And I believe at the essence of everything that happens, God is good. We've got to believe that. We've got to understand that, that, 
No matter, because we can all say, you know, God is good all the time and all the time. God is good. We know it. We say it. But it's when those hard times come that, Lord, you're in control and I just lost a loved one, but, you, Lord, you're still good. You still love me. You are still a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And here's the thing. When we seek God, God does reward us, but the reward is God. He's the reward. He's the goal. You know, to me, even in, even in Christian circles, you know, I've talked to people who they're, they're, they're diligent, they're faithful servants, they're doing everything, and, and sometimes you talk to them and they're, they're talking about, man, I can't, you know, I'm, I'm going to get my crown in heaven one day. And we're like, oh, that's my ultimate goal. I'm going to have crowns in heaven. I can throw it to the feet of Jesus. And it's like we're, we're almost humbly bragging. I'm a better Christian than you because I'm going to have more crowns in heaven. I'm like, well, you know, really, you're probably not. But the goal of, of serving God and seeking God isn't, isn't crowns in heaven. It's not a mansion in heaven. It's not, it's not even heaven. It's God. It's the presence of God in our life. Because when we seek God and he, re, he rewards us with his presence, when those terrible times come, because remember the book of Hebrews, he's writing to Christians who are being persecuted. They're suffering extreme persecution. When we go through those difficult times, the God we seek comforts us. He may make the, time, he may make the problem go away, he may not. But his presence there, the Holy Spirit inside of us to comfort us and guide us and strengthen us. God says, I am good and I reward you when you seek me, but we have to have faith in God. He is the reward. He is the goal. He is all the goodness that we need. God-pleasing faith believes that God is good, God is supreme, no matter what we face. So that brings us to the last question. Here's one we have to answer on our own. Do I have that type of faith? Do I have the type of faith that pleases God? Do I have the type of faith that when my world is turned upside down, I still say, God, I don't like this, but I trust you. I believe that this is for my good. I believe that this is designed to, to bring me closer to you, to, to allow me to feel your presence, to allow me to, to feel you, your love and your grace and your mercy in my life, God. Do I have the type of faith that when, when everything else fails, I can say, God, you are all I need. What do you turn to in difficult times? Is it a person? There's somebody you call that you're, gonna, you're going through a tough time, so you call them and they always have good advice. Or maybe there's people who just listen to you and let you rant and rave and you can just blow off on them and they, they take it. And man, I'm going to turn to that. Or maybe, maybe you turn to, to, to alcohol, maybe you turn to drugs, maybe you turn to TV. I'm just, I need to get away from this world, so I'm just going to lock myself in my bedroom and do Netflix for the rest of the month and I'm just going to chill out. Do you, do you, what do you turn to? When times are hard, what do you turn to for comfort? God-pleasing faith turns to God. Hey, when things are going great, when your life's on track, when everybody's healthy, when you just got a raise and a promotion and your mother-in-law moved out, it's the Lord. When everything good happens, who do you turn to to rejoice with? Do you call that same friend and say, hey, the good thing, or do you praise God? Do we have the type of faith that no matter what we're going through, in the good times and the bad times, we turn to God. Our faith, if our faith is in anything other than God, 
It's not God-pleasing faith. If our faith is in anything besides his supremacy and his goodness and his mercy, we're failing in trying to please God. God wants us to run to him in every moment of life, to seek him, to follow him, to have faith in him. That is what pleases God. And when we have that type of faith that pleases God, God rewards those who put their faith in him by growing their faith and giving them exactly what they need, more of him. Every one of us here tonight, we have faith. What is your faith in?